0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: You're listening to Insight, a show about empowering our community. I'm Lorraine Ballard-Morrell. This morning, we focus on Young Creatives, a youth poetry contest sponsored by Moonstone and a play on anti-Asian bigotry written by a high school student and sponsored by Philadelphia Young Playwrights. First... There's so many scams out there, and I am so pleased to bring back someone who can give us some inside scoop on how to avoid getting ripped off, George Clark. He's Postal Inspector and Public Information Officer for the Philadelphia Division of the Postal Inspector's Office. And he is just chock full of info. George, always glad to see you. And, well, let's talk about the area in which you inhabit, which is the Postal Service, what kinds of scams are associated with the work that you do and the area that you cover?
0: Well, the Postal Service, is, uh, being, being the original and uh, oldest form of communication, was always used by scammers to connect with and receive money from uh, potential victims. So we, as postal inspectors, have uh, several hundred years of dealing with all sorts of different types of frauds. And they continue to use the mail either to connect with victims or to receive checks or cash as a result of their crimes. I don't want to uh, ignore the fact that a lot of these crimes have also started, not started, for the last 20 plus years have used uh, email and uh now, social media,
1: the mail is is still a reliable avenue for a lot of these crooks to uh, to to pull money out of people's pocketbooks. Tell us about some of the most common scams that people can encounter via the mail.
0: Well, the most common scams uh, are going to be some version of a lottery or sweepstakes scam, which is someone is contacted about winning a, a money in a lottery uh, or a sweepstakes that they have never played but because of things like Publishers Clearinghouse which lots of people have heard of they want to associate reality to to these these uh, scams they're not they're almost all not real if you haven't played it if you haven't uh, engaged it if you haven't bought a ticket for it these lotteries aren't going to be real and what they're gonna every time they're gonna ask you to send money away to pay taxes or something along those lines taxes fees upfront costs just to get that million dollars or $10 million or whatever the number is that you think you want. The other big category of frauds that we see are, are romance scams. And that has really pop- become very popular, or, or I should say, easy to do with social media and a lot of the dating websites. And it's pretty much what it sounds like. Someone getting engaged a uh, communication-wise with uh, someone on the other end of a, a, a computer and falling in love with that person. And, and it is all a big lie. And once the perpetrator feels that they have the trust of the victim, they'll start asking for money. Um, and the stories are are always some version of, and I, I'm, I'm going to be very general here, but they're always some version of, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor, uh, I'm a lawyer, and I'm doing some good work. Whether it's building a children's hospital, a new bridge, a waterfront purification system in some far off place of the world. And I've suddenly run into, or the project has suddenly run into some money problems. And uh, can you help me? There are many red flags one should probably see before you even get to that, uh, that point of dissecting um, whether it's realistic that someone who's building a bridge and I'm using real examples here that I've dealt with uh, in uh, actually needs money from someone here in the United States to help them complete that project. These are are common and and some people fall victim to the tune of $500,000 in these cases. Now wow. That's probably an outside example, but thousands of dollars often disappears. And anytime you are told to send money or asked to send money, you just have to pause for a second. Does this seem right? Does this feel right? They need money from me to pay the customs official off? That's another common one. I've run into customs problems and they're demanding money from me. Is that, is that really how it works? You, you, I send you cash and you're going to pay this customs official off? Which, which takes us to money mules, which often are in between the victim and the perpetrator. And many of these money mules, and let me just define money mules for you, Lorraine. It's it's basically someone who receives money from a victim and forwards it on to a bad guy. And most of the time, these money mules are victims themselves, and they don't understand that what they are doing is helping facilitate the theft of money. Um, not always. Sometimes they know exactly what they're doing, but most of the time they're victims. The reason why these bad guys will use money mules is because a lot of times these perpetrators, these bad actors are sitting in places that are in far off countries all over the world. And they recognize that for a lot of citizens of the United States, there's a comfort level with mailing money or sending money to an address here in the United States. Even if it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, It people are more comfortable mailing uh, or sending money somehow to another individual here in the U.S. rather than in Nigeria or Liberia or the Philippines. So they use these mules as a, as a sense of comfort for the person who's about to be victimized to send their money to. That's a major red flag. If, if the person you're dealing with is allegedly running a lottery, the, the Spanish lottery, we'll say the Spanish lottery or the jumbo lottery of Japan, and they're asking you to send fees to an address in, in the United States that we have here in Philadelphia if if you're asked to send money to Texas for a lottery that's allegedly taking place in Japan that's a real big red flag. I mean that doesn't make any sense. I mean it's just on its face, right? It doesn't. And that's don't send the money. The other thing is, you know, if you're dealing with a romance uh, situation where you're in love with it, engineer building a bridge in Turkey and I need you to send money to my friend in Florida. They'll get the money to me. You know, it's a red flag that they're asking you to send money. To begin with, it's another red flag that they are going to ask you to send money to some alleged friend who will facilitate paying off whatever they need done Mm. in another state in the United
1: States. So, George, um, there's also another scam that you've told us about in the past, and I think it's called reshipping. Is that it? The shipping scams?
0: Reshipping scams. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. What is that? Often what will happen is people will be asked to be they'll respond to a work at home ad usually posted on Indeed or Monster and, you know, any number of uh, classified websites. And, you know, all you have to do is stay home. We'll pay you well. The ad will read. And what you have to do is in these scams, they'll ask you to receive packages, open the box up, inspect what's inside. I mean, that's the, that's the job, alleged job. Mm -hmm. And then put a label that they will have emailed to you back onto the box and put it back into the mail stream. And the reason that that's done is that a lot of the items that are passing through this reshipping process that we call it are purchased with stolen credit cards. Now, low-level credit card security, uh, and I am no expert in credit card security, but you know my understanding is very low level, is that they'll match up credit card companies or the security services that they provide or that merchants buy when they're processing orders, is they'll match up a credit card number to an address. So if you are sitting in the Ukraine using a stolen credit card of that belongs to or should belong to a U.S. citizen asking for an, an Apple Air uh, computer or AirPods or, or something like that be sent to the Ukraine using that credit card that sh- should come back to a U.S. citizen, it's going to put a red flag if not stop that transaction from going through. But if you have it shipped to an address in the United States, the credit card security might not. I mean, and this is all done through computers, um, but it might let that transaction occur. And so then the person here receives it. They inspect it. They put a new label on, and they reship it, and off it goes to Ukraine. And this all happens pretty quickly uh, before the credit card is identified as stolen, or before the credit card identifies that credit card is being compromised and puts a uh, you know a kibosh on the payment itself. And believe it or not, I mean, it still can take a couple days for these payments to process through. Uh, the back channels of the processing
1: system. Right. So, oh, so you're actually kind of like an accomplice to a crime and you don't even know it. Now, there's I'm sure in your job as inspector, you've seen some pretty sad stories. What do people do if they are, in fact, a victim of one of these many scams that you mention? <laughs>
0: uh, well, what they should do is they should stop being victimized immediately. Once they recognize that, they can go on to our website, USPIS.gov. They can go on to the FBI's website. They can go on to the Federal Trade Commission's website. They can contact our local police department. And hopefully, at some point, all those complaints will be merged. So they can go on these websites and file complaints. It's important that people do so. I mean, we often are, are, we hear that people file complaints, and they never hear from us. And that might be true, but what happens is, you know, at least for us, and I'm sure for the other agencies, they get inundated with complaints, and there might be not, not be a whole lot that's actionable on the complaint, but what does happen, and it takes time, is the complaints are compared against other complaints that come in. If either through human research or through the pro, the computer programs that we have analyzing our complaints can match something up and start matching complaints up, then all of a sudden we start getting a pattern uh, and we might start identifying leads that, that suddenly pop out from those complaints mm. uh, and start making sense.
1: So it's still worthwhile for people to file those complaints, because even if you don't to hear directly about your case, it could contribute To the investigation that will finally get the bad guy
0: absolutely
1: well certainly the best thing to do is to avoid being a victim and one of the best ways to do that is just to be well informed and national consumer protection week is february 28th through march 6th and it's a time to help people understand their consumer rights and make well informed decisions about money and certainly to help raise awareness about potential scams What can we do to find out more information on what these scams are and how we can prevent them?
0: If they have a computer and they're comfortable with a computer, use Google or another search engine and search out the name of the person you're dealing with. If it's a lottery or sweepstakes, the lottery or sweepstakes you're dealing with. If there's an address involved, you search out the address. And hopefully what you'll find and if there's a business involved, search out the business name and hopefully what you'll find is you'll find other people complaining about them. you'll find like red flags that should put it to bed for you.
1: I want to thank you so much for raising our awareness for all these scams that are out there. And remember, the bottom line is if it's too good to be true, it's probably not true. And and that goes to show that uh, we really need to be very aware. And that's what National Consumer Protection Week is all about. George Clark is a U.S. Postal Inspector and Public Information Officer for the Philadelphia Division of the U.S. Postal Inspectors. As always, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Lorraine, thank you.
1: You're listening to Insight. We were so inspired by Amanda Gorman. She was a youth poet laureate, and her poem for the Biden inauguration was truly inspiring. And I think it raised people's awareness and appreciation for the power and the beauty of poetry. So we're going to talk about some cool opportunities to have your poetry acknowledged and uh, celebrated with an organization called Moonstone Arts Center. It's a nonprofit in Philadelphia that hosts weekly readings, publishes poetry, anthologies, and chapbooks, and features local poets, and they have a big initiative to support emergent artists. And to tell us about this are two student interns who are also working with Moonstone. They are Madison Starinari, who is an editorial intern, and also we have Liana King. She's an intern at Moonstone, senior at Temple, and Madison is over at Westchester, where she is also a senior. So, Madison, you reached out to us, and uh, we were so delighted to reach back out to you. Tell us more about Moonstone, and tell us about this program that you have.
2: First of all, thank you so much, Lorraine, for having Yana and I here today, and we're really excited to represent Moonstone. Moonstone is a nonprofit organization that supports poets and writers um, locally, but also one of our past readings that. Was titled it "Can't Happen Here" that talked about the events that happened at the Capitol on January six. We actually had a poet from the UK speak at that Zoom reading, so that was really awesome. How we can we're doing outreach across the country, but also across the ocean <laughs> as well. But yeah, so our one of our big initiatives is the New Voices program. Basically, we're trying to bring high school and college students together to present their poetry to their community, so they're able to submit poetry to our Spring 21 Anthology, our New Voices Anthology. And that would be due March 5th. And they can just submit submit it on our website. And all accepted poems will have the opportunity to do a reading and also be published in the anthology with no charge. The anthology itself would would be available for purchase starting on March 20th. And that would be of charge. But to actually submit and to read, there's no fee Our whole thing is we want to supply a platform for younger poets, integrating them into the larger Philadelphia poetry community and helping them become aware and appreciate poets from outside of their communities as well. And we really want to increase their ability um, to communicate and present to a wide range of audience for whoever attends the New Voices. We have a reading every third Saturday of the month, a New Voices reading. Liana, um, you're also involved with Moonstone, and you are a young
1: person. You're a college student. And I wonder if you can talk a bit about, you know, what it means to provide this platform for these young poets. I think that, as we saw with Amanda Gorman, uh, it doesn't matter how old you are, through the very simple process of putting these words together a- into a poem. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on that.
3: I think that's a very insightful take on young people's position, special positionality within the poetry community, because, you know, I think that often young voices are kind of categorized as young as
4: Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Uh Aha! In my dentist's office, more than once,
2: actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really?
4: Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: I never win
5: and tell.
4: Well, there you have it. You could get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Kind of in a different category of understanding the world, but if we think about it, and if we actually pay. little bit of attention, we see that younger perspectives, new voices actually have a lot to say about what's going on in the world and kind of have a really unique and really valuable perspective if we just kind of give them that platform. And so, yeah, it was really exciting and awesome to see Amanda Gorman get so much, you know, love and celebration surrounding her voice. And so that's kind of our aim here is to kind of allow emerging poets to have their voices be celebrated and published and kind of give them the opportunity as individual poets, as writers on their own journey, a kind of opportunity to enter into the larger poet community and kind of find their footing there for a longer life of involvement with poetry.
1: Yeah, I love what you say. And I think that uh, that my own personal take is that we always have something to learn from young people. I know that in my entire career, the best things that I've learned, some really wonderful things I've learned from my interns. And I think that if we always keep our minds open to the wisdom of young people like yourselves and like the poets that are going to be involved in this program, then we have so much to learn and so much that will will help us and and help us understand the world a little bit better. Madison, so specifically, you mentioned people can go to the website. And if you could just remind us, what that website is, to apply?
2: It's moonstoneartcenter.org. And there is a, so like right on in the front page, there's an events, like little block of events, and it has the flyer. And if you click on the flyer, it'll take you like directly to the area where you can find the Zoom link for the events.
1: That's great. And I was very interested in the program that you mentioned in which people were invited to write poems about the insurrection at the Capitol. Is that still available for
2: us to check out? That was actually um, January 31st, and but we published it, um, an anthology with those poems that were read at the reading that people can actually purchase. But there's a lot of great response poems in there.
1: I will be purchasing. It sounds pretty, pretty <laughs> exciting. Leanna, I'm going to give you the last word. Anything else you'd like to add to our conversation today?
3: Now that we're talking about young people I think it's important to share social media, given given that audience. Um, We'd love for everyone who's interested to check us out on Instagram. It's Poetry of New Voices, at Poetry of New Voices. And our regular account is at Moonstone Art Center. And that's on Instagram, and that's on Twitter. And we have a lot of great content. So go there and check us out.
1: I will definitely check you out and uh, follow you guys because it sounds like you're doing some very important work. And uh, it's inspiring to hear the voices, these young voices, and for Moonstone to provide that avenue and that platform for those voices to be heard is really kind of awesome. New Voices is Moonstone's newest program, which features poets under the age of 25, encouraging high school and college students alike to submit their poetry for anthological consideration and Participation in the spring twenty twenty one reading. Thank you both for joining us. Madison Starinari, who is at Moonstone, and she is also a Westchester senior. Liana King, intern at Moonstone Senior at Temple University. Thank you so much for coming on and uh sharing with us this very cool program that you're offering.
2: Thank you so much for having us. Thank by. you, Lorraine. We really appreciate it.
1: seen a reoccurring history of socially entrenched racism towards Asians. The roots of anti-Asian sentiment in the U.S. can be traced as far back as the concept of yellow peril and the Chinese Exclusion Act that treated Asian immigrants as threats to national security in the 1880s. But, of course, they resurfaced on a large-scale level last year after reports traced the origins of the coronavirus back to China. According to a study in late March of 2020, the FBI, mindful of attempts to label COVID-19 as the quote-unquote Chinese flu or the Kung flu alerted law enforcement agencies to be on heightened alert for biased, motivated incidents. Apparently, the agency's concern was warranted, which makes the play Pandemic especially relevant today. Produced by Philadelphia Young Playwrights, Pandemic is a politically charged piece that explores racism, both externalized and internalized through the eyes of two very different Generations, the 1930s, and Modern Day 2020. Joining us is the playwright of Pandemic, Katie Lou, who is a junior at Wissahickon High School, and Lisa Nelson-Haynes, who is Executive Director of Philadelphia Young Playwrights. Before we talk with Katie, I'd like to speak with you, Lisa. Tell us, what is Philadelphia Young Playwrights, and how did you come to produce
4: Pandemic. Thank you so much for having us Lorraine. Philadelphia Young Playwrights is a nonprofit here in the city of Philadelphia, but we serve not only Philadelphia but the surrounding region. We take playwriting directly into the classroom as a tool to expand students' written literacy skills. Every year we have an annual playwriting festival where we invite students that we work with both inside and out of the classroom to submit work for consideration for production. And we were awarded funding from the Independence Foundation to produce two pieces over two years. This is the second year of the funding. And for the piece that we selected, we selected Katie's piece, Pandemic, not only because it's such a well-written piece, but also because
5: of its timeliness.
1: And Katie, let's talk to you. What inspired you to write this play?
5: So I found inspiration in the early days of the pandemic um, around January to March. And as a Chinese-American myself, I took a lot of notice of all the rhetoric going around. And it was striking me how people were responding in a really antagonistic and dehumanizing way um, towards Asian people, like associating the virus with an entire ethnicity or race, labeling us as foreign outsiders and these scary news stories of, like, these verbal and physical assaults like we've been seeing come to light in the past few weeks recently. Seeing that response made me question my status as a Chinese American and made me interested in Asian American history. So in my play, I wanted to explore these ideas of racial prejudice and the Asian American identity and experience with the backdrop of the pandemic and also creating an intergenerational um theme by relating it to the Chinese exclusion period of the nineteen hundreds and eighteen hundreds and which is I feel is like a part of history that is way too overlooked and needs to be educated more.
1: Katie, you did a lot of research before writing this play and you also looked into your own family's history. And I wonder if you can tell us what you learned, what surprised you, what inspired you, and what depressed you? <laughs>
5: Yeah, so I asked a lot of my family members. Um, my parents are both immigrants from China, and I was asking about their immigration experience, how they felt welcomed in the country when they first arrived. I was asking my grandparents who, um, are still in China today and seeing how they experienced the pandemic and everything. And I was, I wasn't educated on the Chinese exclusion period at all, really, since it's not really educated in my, um, school. So I was doing my own research online, looking at reading these experiences of these people during this heavily excluded and polarized time where they felt completely ostracized from American society. And that was really depressing, but also super insightful to see not only how they overcame that time, but like how they made communities of their own. I was learning about how they created Chinatowns and these little enclaves where they could, where their culture and history could thrive.
1: So um, as you wrote this play, you do bring the past and the present together. And I I wonder if you can talk a bit more about how you're able to make the connection between those two times.
5: A big part of the play is I wanted to explore different facets of prejudice and racism. So I wanted to show not only how there were parallels of racial prejudice, but how they were different. So I was bringing together different of different examples of racial prejudice from the 1930s and 2020 to show one of them was a very um, outwardly uh, obvious external act of racism. And another was more subtle and more modern day with these little um, microaggressions and um, hints at prejudice that you might see more today than, ni- than the 1930s. So I wanted to show how those parallels of racial prejudice and those same ideas of outsiderness of Asian-Americans and that um racism exists both in the past and today but also how they evolve to be more subtle and more um nuanced i believe
1: representation is absolutely essential for us to move forward as a, as a nation as a country because we are so diverse and yet um it's been very slow going having true representation among the vast distinctions with asian cultures and nationalities and the big kind of crazy quilt of the asian american experience and i wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you see progress being made or maybe progress not being made we're we're starting to see uh more representation in movies and television and and yet we still don't have perhaps the depth of representation of lived experience being shared in, in media and the content that we consume. And what do you think about that?
5: I would say media representation is super important for especially me personally. I was looking for so many Asian-American role models growing up and I couldn't find those role models to be inspired by. So, which is why it was very important to me to have Asian American representation, not only in the production, but um, in mainstream media in general. And I feel with like movies and television, the Asian American stories being told, there are representations with actors and actresses, but I'm still looking for that story of like immigration experiences and experiences with Asian Americans in modern day. And I feel like that's missing from mainstream media and movies and television. And I would love to see that. What
1: do you see for your future? Having had this opportunity to have your play produced, which must be incredibly exciting and wow, you know, to to have this be performed with actors and being shared with general public. Um, how has this influenced your view of who you are and who you are moving forward?
5: So, um, for my identity as a playwright at first this play was just like my little project you know a little document on my computer that i was typing away at and i really got to see through this entire process how it's kind of taking the life on its own and it was extremely humbling to see these amazing actors and our incredible director kat ramirez um workshop it and make it into this like collaborative project that was going to be shared with audiences and that was extremely humbling, like I said, and also it made me see the, I guess, the influence that like my that writing can have as a whole. And, it, and I really want to continue that as an expressive medium. I think it's such a fun medium to um, explore but for the future after high school. I would love in college to just be able to continue fiction writing whenever I can. So any future plan that lets me do that um, is what I'm very interested in.
1: Well, that's very exciting. And it's, I'm just so impressed with the fact that you've created this, this wonderful radio play. And I wonder, uh, Lisa Nelson Haynes, tell us all the different ways
4: that we as the general public can experience pandemic. So pandemic will be available for screening. And again, it's a radio play. And I, and I, and I also want to share with when Katie wrote this piece, she did not write it specifically to be a radio play. When it was submitted, we thought that we would still have the opportunity to produce it in a more traditional way on the stage. And I have to applaud Katie for just when we made the suggestion, she gave it some thought and, you know, came to us with such enthusiasm and said, let's do it. And I just really wanted to acknowledge that because a lot of times when artists are creating something, they have in their mind an image of, of what they expect to see you know, how they'd like to see it produced. And Katie really embraced the idea of this being a radio play, which is a first for us. This is the first radio play that we've produced. And we've learned a lot through this process. So it will be available for listening via YouTube. Your listeners can go to phillyplaywrights.org and they can reserve a spot to receive a link to the actual piece that will be available through February 28th. For people to listen anytime at their leisure during that time, it's pay what you can because we really experience, we really want people to understand that access is what's most important to us. It's access to the work, to the creativity, to the brilliance of our young people. That's what we want people to be able to go and listen um, to how this work has come to life in this new way.
1: Mm, what a wonderful gift that you provide to young people and really to us to be able to showcase the brilliance of people like Katie and I'm sure so many other young people that you've awarded the opportunity to produce their plays. So kudos to you. In general, the website for Philadelphia Young Playwrights is? org. Thank you so much for joining us today. Katie Lou, playwright of Pandemic, and Lisa Nelson-Haynes, who is Executive Director of Philadelphia Young Playwrights. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You can listen to all of today's interviews by going to our station website and typing in Keyword Community. You can also listen on the iHeartRadio app, Keyword Lorraine with one R. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Lorraine Ballard. Insight is produced with the help of Deja Moore-Evans. I'm Lorraine Ballard-Marl, and I stand for service to our community and media that empowers. What will you stand for? You've been listening to Insight, and thank you.